Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. January 25th, 1987. At the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California. Neil Diamond, Danny Moses, sang the national anthem. Willie Davis, the great Green Bay Packer, was part of the coin toss. Pat Summerall, now the late John Madden, CBS Sports, 87 million viewers watched the nine and a half point favorite New York Giants take on the Broncos of Denver. That was a 10-9 game at halftime with the Broncos actually winning before the Giants had a big second half to win, I believe, 38-20. Now you're saying to yourselves, Guy, why are you mentioning this game that took place many, many years ago? I'm going to tell you why, Dan Nathan. So just indulge me for a second. Indulging. Because on that day, the great giant quarterback, Phil Sims went 22 of 25. Now, I can do that math. That's an 88% completion ratio. 88%. Never seen before in the NFL. He went on to win the MVP of that game. Justifiably so. Well, guess what? Danny Moses has won 22 of 25 games in his picks as we enter week 17. Nobody thought Phil Simms could do that back then, and I guarantee nobody thought Danny Moses can do it because you know why? Because as we sit here right now, as we head into 2022, as we say in the betting world, you're seven dimes into (laughs) Demo. It was 6,500, and then Dan called me right before the Monday Night Football kickoff, just desperate to try to win something back. He's like, who do you like? I'm like, I really hate the game. He goes, just pick somebody. I said, all right, well, if I had to pick it, I would take the Dolphins. It goes, good. I'll take the Saints, plus two and a half. And he hit me after the game started three minutes later when he watched the pro football debut of Ian Book. He says, good night. Thank you, 7,000. That was it. So I went straight to curb your enthusiasm. It was not pretty. I mean, listen, your run is pretty epic. And I think, Danny, if you could do the voice, if ever a man was born to bet on the NFL, his name was Danny Moses. In a world where one person got luckier than the next, reads a record of 22 and 3. No, it'll end. But I'm going to go out in 21 with a winning record, that's for sure, because I'm not giving out 19 picks this week, so I should be good. So, Nor should you. By the way, in case you were curious or in case you just stumbled upon us, you are, in fact, listening to On the Tape. Hopefully, you realize my name is Guy Adami. The two Dans are Dan Nathan and Dan Moses, but we call him Demo. At least that's what I like to call him. And it's been an incredible year on a number of different levels. First, for me, getting to know you, Danny, over the last year has been really one of the great treats, not only of this last year, but of the last many years. So thank you for your friendship. And obviously, Dan and I started with your help, something we're really proud of. So thank you both. Happy to be on the team. And Guy, it's been great to get to know you as well. I look forward to you leaving Jersey more often and we can get together in person. And Dan, obviously, we've hung out a little bit too. And it's been a 
great friendship so far. I look forward to many more years together with you guys. So I would just say it's been expensive for me, Danny Moses, taking the other side yeah. of your NFL <laughs> bets. I just didn't think that it was going to go this way. Well, listen, it's also been an extraordinary year in the markets. We're what? A day and a half left of trading in 2021, guys. And the S&P 500 is what? 28% higher on the year. The NASDAQ up 23%. I think to me, what I think is most astounding, and I know, Danny, you got a whole list of stuff to run through. And I know we've hit this a bunch, but the fact that the S&P 500 hasn't had a greater than 6% decline from its all-time highs on any instance, and I think that makes it one in five years over the last 50 where it hasn't had a 10% peak to drop decline. And we're going to talk about some of these themes a bit later, but in Q1, we did have the NASDAQ that actually doubled the decline of the S&P from its highs in February to its lows in March. You learn your lessons the hard way. And I tell you, it was December 20th. That was a Monday. And we were doing a Twitter spaces, Dan. And the market was down significantly. I think the Dow was down about 600 points or so. And it started coming back. And you said, what are you looking for the rest of the day? I said, I'll tell you three things. I said, at the time, the VIX was trading about 25. I said, if you see the VIX close around 23 and a half, that's a really good sign. The IWM, the Russell, was pushing down against support at 210. I said, it's critical that the Russell holds this 210 level. It subsequently did. And then I mentioned the XRT, which looks hauntingly like the IWM chart. And all those things held. And I said, on Fast Money that night, I said, I got to tell you something. The way the market shook out today, we're just going to go higher for the rest of the year. Now, I'm wrong all the time. But I had <laughs> learned the lesson the hard way, as I mentioned. You know what? The market shrugs it all off. And in that case, Danny Moses, it shrugged it off in about six hours. Yeah, and I think we all kind of came to the agreement. You can be as bearish as you want to be, but seasonally, that's a very difficult time to see stocks go down, and it actually held true. And so we had that one last Fed meeting, and then things stabilized. Fed fund futures are building in, obviously, the rate hike. So the market has processed that through. But when you go back through 2021, and I just want to go through some of these highlights or lowlights, if you want to call them, that we've been through, the market has absorbed a lot. And I think as we roll into 2022, we're facing a lot of the same issues that we're facing in 21. We're just choosing to ignore them right now, willfully in year end. And everyone just wants to hold their books together, right? There's markups going on, which I know Dan was talking about before we got on air that he'll talk about just in general, some small cap names, some kisses to the portfolio managers out there for the year end gains and so forth. So there's no point in trying to fight the market or fight the Fed here at this point in the calendar right now, for sure. Dan, I know you have some thoughts on some of the things that are going on over the last week or so. It's been interesting. Danny, I know you want to opine on this. The most interesting thing to me amongst many this year is the volatility in the bond market. And we talk about this a lot, Danny, and maybe the market shouldn't care about it. I don't know. But the fluctuations we've seen in 10-year yields over the course of weeks has been extraordinary. But then something that you mentioned and something that I really didn't look at enough, but I'll be sure to look at in 2022 has been the two-year yield, which was struggling at 20 basis points in the fall and basically has quadrupled since. I think that's a huge warning sign for me. And I think, in my opinion, that two 10-year spread, which is about 70 basis points, 75 basis points or thereabouts as we sit, I think it's going to about 30 basis points. And I think it's going to go in the form of 140-ish in the two-year and 170-ish in the 10-year. How far off do you think I am, Danny? I think that's possible. I actually think it'll happen at a lower level than that. I think we'll see something like 110 to 120 on the two-year. And I actually think we're going to invert, which I'm going to talk about here in a second, what I'm expecting in 2022. I certainly think we're going to narrow, whether it goes probably 30 bips, obviously, we'll get there first. But I think we're going to see something like one 
and 120. I think we're going to be at like 20 basis points here at some point in the first quarter. That's actually what I think is going to happen. So curious to get Dan's thoughts on that. Running through these 2021 stories, let's look what we started 2021 with. AMC GameStop. We saw in the midst of Robinhood trying to show they could be a public-facing company, all this stuff starts occurring on their platform and other platforms. What do we get? An investigation that kind of reveals nothing. Gary Gensler comes out with his plan in 2021. I'm going to change the world. Of, we're going to improve market structure, payment for order flow. Nothing's happened since. ESG investing. All right, we're going to punish the funds that invest in energy and resources. What happens? It backfires. Oil goes higher because lack of investing. We got an Archegos blow up in Greensill, which literally took Credit Suisse out of business almost in the U.S. Funny enough, news today that Credit Suisse is going after SoftBank for the Greensill debacle. That actually came out today. You got China, which we had the Evergrande property developer situation. But more than that, we had just kind of their imposing their will on Hong Kong. And as a matter of fact, today they shut down what's called Stan News, which is another democratic paper in Hong Kong that follows their Apple Daily shutdown last June. And then the Tiananmen Square statue gets taken down at the University of Hong Kong. So China's an issue. Buy now, pay later came along. I think we're going to talk about that more in 22. Russia in 21. What the hell's going on here? Putin imposing his will. The SPAC market obviously took a big breather. It came down. You had two major acquisitions in healthcare in the cannabis space. You had ARK Invest in the crosshairs. That's going to be a 22 story. You had Tether come to the forefront in 21. What's going to happen there? That's going to be a major issue to me in 22. And last but not least, the two other big issues that we're going to carry and have fought with all year is the Federal Reserve and what they're going to do in this whole supply chain issue and shortage. This is going to go on, whether it fixes itself over time. But there was so much in 21 that this market absorbed, and I give it credit, taking these blows. And we're now turning the calendar, and we're going to face a lot of these same issues that are actually going to get exacerbated in 22. And we can run through those right now, but I want to get your guys' thoughts. I'm sure I missed a bunch of stuff because I tend to highlight on the negative, not the positive. But Dan, give me some thoughts here, man. Well, the positive was that the Fed was buying $120 billion of MBS and US treasuries. I think we have to go back to 2018, the last time the Fed was as hawkish as they appear to be at the moment. And they were raising quarter points, Fed funds, every other meeting, Fed funds got close to 3%. And something happened. As soon as there was a growth scare globally, the S&P 500 sold off nearly 20% in a straight line in Q4. And so you put all that together and you put all the body blows that the economy took. We're still dealing with this pandemic. If you're thinking about markets and inflows and passive investing and some of the biggest names, that's it. And so 2022 is going to be the story of whether Fed Chair Powell can finally stick to a hawkish stance, because we know the first time he was tested in 18, he was unable to do that. And the market took off once again, right around this time in 2018, that they basically said they're going to be a whole heck of a lot more dovish in 2019. So to me, that's the whole story. I don't really know how to figure out exactly what an inverted yield curve means with the two going higher and the 10-year going lower, to me, that's going to be one unholy mess for financial markets, not just stocks. If that happens. But I will say this, one of the things that's happened too, that happened in 21, it's going to happen in 22, is the midterm elections. Politics aside for a second, people feel that the Democrats losing control, and we already saw this happening from a tax perspective, was beneficial to the capital markets, just in general. I think that's already been priced in. So it'll be interesting to see over the course of the next nine to 10 months how we play out going into the midterm elections. But the one thing that we talked about before as we go into 22 is stagflation. 
We have all the recipes for it. I know we're going to talk later in the show about our outlook for 22 and our picks that can join with some of these viewpoints, but that's a major issue. And so we're going to be facing all this stuff. And Dan, you made it simple. Don't fight the Fed. It's rates stupid. And you're right, but we're going in, they're tapering another 30 billion in January. They're going to complete this thing by March. And I think the market's pricing in the Fed's going to be raising rates. I don't necessarily think the S&P is pricing in that the market's raising rates. What's interesting right there, Danny, is, yeah, don't fight the Fed. And listen, it works. David Tepper talks about it all the time. He's one of the greatest investors, traders out there, and he makes it pretty simple. And he'll fly out say, as long as they're being accommodative, you have to be long stocks. But if that's true on the positive side, I'm pushing back a little bit, why wouldn't that be true on the negative side? Because fighting the Fed now, by definition, means continuing to be bullish when they're flipping the switch, when they're taking a complete 180. By the way, about time and justifiably so. I think that's the right course. But again, not fighting the Fed in that environment means, by definition, being bearish now. Correct. I totally agree with that. And listen, we still have to get Powell approved. He still has to go before the Senate and get approved. And I'm sure he probably will. But that's going to be quite a hearing I think we're going to see over the course of the days and depending on what the market's doing. And I don't know the exact date of when that's going to be occurring, but I believe he has to go in front of them. So that should be interesting as well. Yeah, I would just say this. If Fed fund futures are correct, and we have at this time next year, Fed funds at 1% or near 1%, and there's no more quantitative easing, historically, that is so low. It really should be something that an economy that is growing, let's say at 2.5% GDP or something, should be able to deal with. But I guess the bigger issue now is just the gorging on debt. And we've seen this on sovereign balance sheets. We've seen it on corporates. We know that so much of earnings per share in the S&P 500 have been buffeted by the buybacks, if you think about that. So really, then it comes down to valuation. At a higher interest rate, we know how to value stocks when Fed funds are basically zero. You value them at whatever the hell you want to on a multiple to sales. But that's also a huge story of 2021 is that we thought that could go on forever. And when you look at some of these high growth names that people love the secular stories and they love the acceleration in 2020 during the pandemic, there was not lows low enough for some of these stocks that were trading at 30, 40, 50 times sales. And so I think that continues to bleed into 2022. And just to give you a little precursor, If you want to look, and Guy and I were talking about some of these names that might ultimately start look like they're growing into their valuations, whether it be a Zoom or a Peloton or a Chegg or a Teladoc, well, let me tell you this. If you go back and if you've been in the markets long enough and you remember what 01 and 02 were like, or you remember what late 08 and early 09 were like, stocks that feel like they are just so out of favor and so depressed down 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%, they can still go lower. And there are gap levels in Zoom and there are gap levels in Peloton. There are much lower levels that these stocks could go to if it really gets to a point where baby with the bathwater. 100%. And we've talked about when momentum breaks or when the levy breaks, the theme song to the big short guy happens, these things don't have a bottom because there's not a valuation reason for any institutional investor to pick them up. So they just go to die. You're seeing that a lot, Dan, and I totally agree with you. If there is a massive sell-off in the market and people want to start picking things to buy that they want to own, they're going to buy quality. And none of those things that you mentioned are, quote, quality, as opposed to how they screen as valuation buys. So I do think that's going to be a major theme in 2022. Kansas, Jill McCoy, and Memphis Mini, of course, in 1929, Danny, as you know, wrote that song, obviously made famous by the mighty Led Zeppelin, By the way, not to get off track here, but that's what my want to do. If you haven't seen Get the Let Out, if you have not seen Get the Let Out, 
run to go see Get the Let Out because I am telling you right now, you might as well be listening to the albums. It is remarkable. And when the levee breaks, I hear that song in my head over and over again because it is raining, but right now that levee is holding. Now, it's important to mention this because your guy, Michael Burry, and by the way, I promise that in 2022, I will rent the big short and I will watch it and I will be looking for you and your lines and all those things. But I'm telling you, earlier this year, it was in the summer. Now, he's typically very early. In the case of the ARC ETF, his timing couldn't have been better. You go back and listen to when he started talking about it and his want to short it and what it's done subsequently, it's remarkable how strong his timing was. Now, this is not, again, cast aspersions on Kathy Wood. What she's done over the last seven years has been historic. But to me, it's a market sentiment thing. And you think about, I think there are 20 stocks in her portfolio in that ARC ETF that are down anywhere from 35 to 70%. Think about that. We look at the broader market. The S&P's at 4,800. Everything's great. But under the surface, and we talk about this all the time, there's damage being done. It's raining. The levee's holding. But when that sucker breaks, Danny Moses, look out. The great James Earl Jones the great Lion King. I'm going to change some words that he gave. Instead of everything the light touches is yours, Simba, it's going to be <laughs> everything that Ark Invest touches is a short, Simba. Because I think going into 22, without giving too much of a preview, I think that for better, for worse, whatever, she will be the poster person of the 22 demise if the market does end up going down. She's hanging on by a thread here at the end of 21. And I think that to Dan's point, she has a lot of, quote, those stocks that are going to be left for dead. And if her flows start to go against her and her performance starts, it becomes self-fulfilling. And passive investing is fortuitous on the way in. And man, is it painful on the way out. And yes, she's an active money manager in an ETF, but money flows pretty much one direction when performance starts to degrade. So this is the time of year. I like to reflect a little bit, guys, on what happened in the 12 months prior and think about what we could do better. And a friend of the show, without naming names, said to me yesterday, why do you guys talk about ARC all the time? And I think we do it delicately. I think that, Guy, you bring up a great point about Burry because I think, if anything, and Danny, you obviously know him and all of us just know because we see these random Bloomberg headlines every few months about the big short, Michael Burry does this, and you pay attention. So that's one of the reasons. The other reason why, and I think it's important, is that she's out there in the press a lot. And guy, you make this point all the time. There's a lot of retail people that are following her. The other thing that I think is really important is her index, that innovation ETF index, it's the NASDAQ, but without the good shit is which what I said last week. My point is it's a great comparison to overlay the NASDAQ 100 chart, which we know five or six stocks make up 50% of the weight and they've all massively outperformed for a bunch of the reasons that Danny and Guy have just mentioned. And then the other stuff, the most innovative stuff that you're supposed to have a long-term time horizon. Think about big secular trends that are going to massively outperform over a long period of time, and you're supposedly getting in early while there's still small market caps. They act like dog shit. So here's my question to Danny Moses, who understands this stuff a lot better than I. She created the wrong vehicle. It shouldn't have been an ETF. It should have been a hedge fund. Somebody said to me on Twitter, if she has a five-year time horizon, why is she selling stuff? I said, because she has no choice. Right. This is the problem with an active ETF versus a passive. If there were rules that were set up ahead of time where you couldn't make these adjustments on the fly, what's happening right now is you sell what you can, not what you want to. 
then it basically, it's self-fulfilling that it creates this portfolio, this mess that exists because she can change on the fly what she wants to do. And to your point, Guy, that's a much better situation in an actively managed hedge fund, obviously she doesn't short anything, than it is on a, quote, ETF. And I think you just nailed it, Guy, when you said that. Listen, we've been following her and I think she's an important market voice. And I mean that sincerely. And I think she's truly very good at what she does. Here was a tweet from her yesterday and we'll pivot a little bit because Guy, I know that you've had some thoughts on the consumer and on retail, but this tweet yesterday I thought was really interesting. She said, today we learned that November retail inventories rose more than 2%, the fastest pace since the 90s, while imports jumped 4.7% and exports dropped 2%. Moreover, real consumption, including services, was flat and the saving rate drop to 6.9% below pre-COVID levels. And I'm just curious, Guy, because again, you highlighted this. and I thought this was really important. You and I were talking about it on a spaces earlier in the week that when you see the pull forward in retail demand that we did because of the fears of supply chain, that sort of thing, and you see the rolling off of stimulus and a whole host of other things. And I know there was a lot of excitement and David Rosenberg tweeted this the other day about some of those November retail sales number expecting a big sequential decline in December, if the consumer has been the thing that you never bet against, this U.S. consumer that had its balance sheet really just bolstered throughout the pandemic, what does it mean for 2022? Because I think that is a story. And I think retail stocks and the way that they sold off in the form of the XRT from their highs earlier in the month is a really important story that we're going to be tracking closely in 2022. When 73% or so of the economy is driven by exactly that, consumer spending, that's the U.S. economy, by the way, it's been great. People have spent money hand over fist, but the pull forward has been epic. I don't think we've probably ever seen anything like it. And I think we all understand the reasons why. With that said, and this is just my opinion, I think the inflation problems are only going to continue to get worse into 2022, which is going to slow down spending. And you would say, well, wait a second, if spending slows, inflation should come down. You would think, but I think that genie's out of the bottle. So this is exactly the scenario that Danny's been talking about for so long. Slowing growth, rising inflation. The Fed doesn't have the arrows in their quiver to fight stagflation. And that's where on the precipice of or in the throes of, depending on what you're looking at. I will say this again. The 10-year yield is not the right indication for inflation, in my opinion, because, Guy, you just said it best. The market is telling us that the Fed starts raising rates and pulling liquidity out of the market. It's going to slow down the economy, which in turn made people go out of equities, fly potentially into the longer-dated bonds because they know there's a slowdown coming. Therefore, it's self-fulfilling that you get a flattening curve, potentially an inversion, and the Fed is then stuck. Because they're not going to cut rates, obviously. They haven't even started to raise rates yet. So what are they going to be able to do? What can they pull out of the quiver, so to speak? And so I think we're boxed in going into the first quarter. Again, when you look forward to 2022, this is going to be the issue. This is it. At least that's how we're going to start. First Fed meeting is late January. We're going to roll the counter over here. And that's what we're going to be facing. And I think that's what the market's trying to tell us. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it is clearly not all doom and gloom. And if you've listened to the 88% Danny Moses, you've just done extraordinarily well. This is week 17 in a league where they play for pay. Danny Moses, give us a couple picks, please. All right. Tennessee is laying three and a half against Miami at home. Miami just played on Monday night, December 27th, against a horrible Saints team, as Dan is now well aware. (laughs) 
<laughs> Tennessee got to play on Thursday, December 23rd. That is a big deal. Friday, Saturday, Sunday rest. They have four days more rest than their competitor here. Miami and their great win streak have beaten the Jets twice, the Giants, sorry guy, Carolina, Houston, and New Orleans. Okay, they did beat Baltimore, but Baltimore's been up and down all year. So I'm not at all impressed with that resume. Tennessee is still without some of their better players. Obviously, Derrick Henry, one of the best players in football, is not around right now. But I like Tennessee. But if you want to be really safe, I'm going to buy the half point. Tennessee minus three, lay 125. I like it at three and a half, but I love buying that hook there, as they call it, Dan and Guy. So Tennessee minus three is my first pick. My second pick is the Patriots. And I don't normally like laying this kind of wood in a game, but giving 16 against the hapless Jacksonville Jaguars, you got to figure that Belichick has been all over his team this week. They've had two bad performances pretty much in a row. They haven't looked good. Get healthy like they did early in the season against the Jets at home. They're going to get healthy against Jacksonville. I don't even think Jacksonville scores. So if the Pats can put up 17, I think they cover there. And my last thing is a two-team teaser. And Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. When you say that, I mean that you're throwing something new at us. A two-team teaser means you have to hit both ends. Both ends, but you get six points on each. So the Packers are laying six and a half at home against the Vikings. I think the Vikings stink. I think Zimmer's going to get fired. He's done. Packers are rolling. They can basically clinch home field with this win. So they're minus a half. And you put that with the Colts. Now, Colts are playing the Raiders. And I believe that we don't know if Carson Wentz is playing. I'm assuming he is. The line is six and a half right now. I tease that down to a half. I put the Packers minus half and the Colts minus half together. And that's my third pick of the day. I just had to throw something in special for the new year. There, That is special. Now, Dan, as you know, you have an opportunity to take the other side, which you've done for 16 weeks. Hasn't worked out all that well. As I mentioned earlier, seven dimes in the hole, which is extraordinary when you think about it. Anything tickle your fancy here? Nothing tickles my fancy because everything's tickling my checkbook here. So <laughs> anything that I do with Danny, why would I bet against him after this run here? So everything I do with Danny is going to be offline as I try to whittle that number down to something more manageable by the Super Bowl. Fair enough. And I will give you my Super Bowl pick here because why not? And listen, the world changes. So subject to whatever changes are out there. I think the Colts of Indianapolis will be playing the Rams of Los Angeles in this Super Bowl. Danny, what are your thoughts on that quickly before we take a break? I like the Colts. I have them bet at 20 to 1. I bet them a couple weeks ago to win the Super Bowl. I just think they're a hot team. I love watching hard knocks. For the first time, they're doing it in season. And it gives you a good look into the locker room, into the way the teammates kind of hang out together. Frank Reich is the man. He won that game last week with an entire offensive line out when he beat Arizona. How do you do that? His tight end goes down, which is really another lineman, in the first quarter of that game, and he pulls out that win. That's coaching. I will say this. Quentin Nelson was the best football player in that draft. The draft that, oh, by the way, the Giants took Saquon Barkley, who might not be playing for the Giants next year. When we come back, we're going to have some of the things that we're looking for in 2022. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts 
with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. Welcome back to On The Tape. Well, you just heard Demo wax poetic again in the NFL, where he is, I'll say it one more time for you late listeners, 22 and 3. But there's some things that we're all looking for in 2022. I will start. I think energy, which has obviously had a really rough fall, the move lower in energy was epic. And a lot of things sort of came into play. The variant, obviously, the SPR release helped the price go lower. But I think that pendulum is swinging back, and I think it's going to swing back in a major way early next year. I think crude goes higher. I do think you're going to see triple-digit crude in the first quarter of next year. And I think these oil services stocks, which have been waiting on the sidelines, Dan, you've been right about this, have not participated, will participate in a major way early in 2022. Listen, Guy, you've had a really good directional call, I think, on energy in general. The volatility has been pretty severe if you think about crude, but it's been bottom left, upper right in a nice uptrend, if you will. I think there were a chorus of calls for $100 a barrel crude at some point in the summer. We saw, what, a 22 23% pullback. The stocks got hit a little harder. I think the oil service names in particular, and for some reason, it seems like a lot of investors gravitate to those because of the beta, they just don't act well. And if you look at that OIH, so to me, I don't really find that particularly interesting. But again, I'm not like the axe in energy. That's a bit more anecdotal. The last thing I'll just say about oil in general, and I've made this point on the pod over the last few months, is that for those of you who think, and I know, Danny, you say watch the twos, if the 10 ever gets back on its horse and the dollar continues to stay strong or the Dixie in particular move to 100, I just don't know in what scenario crude can really go meaningfully higher because that brings me back to when we stopped QE back in 13-14 and we came off of Zerg zero interest rate policy, crude oil got cut in half. I think at its lows over two years from its highs in late 13, early 14, it was down 60 some percent into the lows in 2016. So that's just my quick take. And then I just anecdotally also look at this direction that all of the autos globally are going as it relates to electric vehicles. And I say to myself, I just don't really see a bull case for oil for too much longer. Yeah, I think there's geopolitical risk that I don't think is probably priced incorrectly for oil, whether it's Iran Russia, whatever's going to happen. So you kind of have that tailwind a little bit. I agree with Dan in that a strong dollar in the Fed raising rates normally has been a headwind for oil in general. And if people believe the economy is going too slow, that's a headwind as well. I will say, however, on a relative basis, the energy sector may outperform possibly the rest of the market. But that's going to be a really interesting sector to follow in 22 for sure. I got a couple things, and this is not in my wheelhouse, but I think this is more of a Guy Adami pick here, and it's kind of a global reflation sort of thing. Oh, I like this. I was looking at cat, and I was looking at deer, and I was looking at how much they are off of their highs. And Guy, you've made this point on numerous occasions about the groups that topped out earlier in the year when rates were going higher, and investors really thought by this point in 2021 that the pandemic would be in the rearview mirror, and we'd have this globally coordinated reflation situation. Well, look at these stocks, and I think it lines up with a lot of transports and a lot of industrials in general. They're not acting well. 
And when I look at the expected growth in CAT in particular, double-digit earnings and sales growth, trading at a huge discount to the S&P 500, I say to myself, well, at some point in 2022, we will be out of this pandemic and we will see other parts of the globe performing better on a relative basis than the US. And I say to myself that some of these industrials look kind of interesting. A Boeing is coming into year end in a god-awful way. It's interesting to see on CNBC, they have a bunch of portfolio managers that right now, this time of year, and they put up their top picks for 2021. And some of the best performing stuff was the worst performing stuff in 2020. So I find that interesting. And then another one that I previewed on our market call a little bit earlier in the week, when Guy and I were talking about some things, Amazon and the underperformance relative to the rest of the mega complex, the Microsoft, the Apple, and the Google, that all have gained $1 trillion in market cap this year and really have to do a tremendous amount of the performance of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ over the last six months. And Amazon's only up 5% on the year. To me, 2022, if you can get Amazon on its way back to 3,000 early in the new year, which I think it will probably go because I think we will finally have that 10% decline. And I think you're going to see major mega cap tech sell off kind of hard. Amazon's the one I want to do. I think Amazon's the year where they finally put some cash return in place. Andrew Jazzy, or as you like to call him, Demo, Andy Jazzy, he puts his imprint on this company as only the second CEO. And I think you're going to see massive outperformance, ultimately in the back half of 2022 of Amazon relative to Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. How's that? He's definitely an Andrew, without question. I will point out for you Geminis out there, the cat tractor, as the old folks call it, traded at all-time high of 246.69 in early June, which, as you know, Dan, is the sign of the Gemini. It's been a two-sided stock. It's been Gemini. Danny Moses, you next. Well, guys, there's a lot to talk about there, and I actually can comment on both. So let's talk about cat and deer for a second, because part of what the Fed has been doing and part of what the market is doing is cost of capital is getting a little bit more expensive. Well, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Cat and Deer both benefit from financing arms that they both have. They do have a lot of loans out there that they give to dealers and so forth. So just keep an eye on that. I'm not saying that's the reason it's underperformed, but you are seeing stresses a little bit, not a lot. So I'd just be wary of that a little bit. I believe that Walmart, just to give you a little sign of what Amazon... So Amazon trades, it doesn't really trade on earnings per se, right? It's still a powerhouse growth story, but it does trade at 60 times earnings. Walmart trades at under 20 times earnings for next year's number. Walmart is quietly gaining on Amazon in e-commerce. As a matter of fact, not just traditional e-commerce, but what's called click and collect. They now have 25% of the click and collect market. There's an article actually out today. Walmart does it, Home Depot, Target, everybody. They're showing how strong it can be to have an e-commerce strategy with a big box retail. That's something that Amazon doesn't have. Amazon has been backfilling and building these warehouses. Well, guess what? Amazon is basically out of space. So what they have something called fulfillment by Amazon FBA. Walmart has Walmart fulfillment services. And I'm telling you, they're spending money on technology. Walmart is going to go gangbuster in e-commerce in 2022. Their multiple is going to start to expand. That stock here at 142 bucks, they do have a dividend yield. It's not tiny. It's a 1.6%, 220 a year and probably going higher. I love Walmart here. And Dan, if Amazon does take a hit in the broad market, I guarantee that Walmart outperforms in there. I love that as a companion pick with Amazon. The fact of the matter is right now, Amazon's taking one of every two new dollars, incremental dollars into e-commerce. I just think there's plenty of room for that. You think of what the total pie as it relates to retail sales, specifically here in North America, and what percentage of that 
is e-commerce, it's less than 10%, I think, still. So this is going to be a massively expanding secular shift. And we've seen Target benefit from that and the investments that they made. So I buy what you're selling in Walmart. I'm just not buying it on the line yet. All right, I got two other things. I'm going to get added and crushed. Oh, yeah. I love gold going into 2022. My man, say it loud and say it proud. Let me just say something. I think the Reddit crowd's going to get into it. I think all of a sudden, gold's going to have this reawakening. This thing has done nothing. It's floated around $1,800 now, 100 more, 100 less here, basically all year. I don't have the chart in front of me. I don't need to. But all the scenarios that we're setting up potentially are positive for gold. What are those scenarios? Inflation, stagflation. That should have been a positive for gold. We know crypto's stolen some of its thunder. That's fine. I think that's built in at this point. What's the other side of the gold trade potentially? What if the Fed either during the course of the year, people decide they're overshooting. What are they doing? Can you imagine what gold will do if we think there's more liquidity that potentially comes back into the market? I love gold here. Well, I'll tell you right now, central banks have been buying or hoarding gold at record levels. You mentioned gold had a tough year. It's the worst year for gold, I think, in the last five. 1800 seemingly has been a magnet for the price. But I think gold is going to rear its ugly head for a lot of people. And I think it's going to be on the back of, as you mentioned, liquidity and inflation concerns. And maybe crypto and gold can live in the same world, but I'm with you 100%. I say it all the time. Gold is not a story until it is. And I think 2022, it's going to be a huge one. Gold's the new meme stock, Dan. It's my obsessment. The only thing I'll just add with that is that they tried making silver, which is a much smaller commodity, and the ETF is much smaller. They tried doing that, Danny, earlier in the year, and it just didn't stick. And I'll just tell you this for you guys who like the charts. Look at the GLD, the ETF that checks your shiny metal, your pick-to-click for 2022. And that has been making a series of lower highs. It's also been making a series of higher lows. And Guy, what would you call that? Like a little pennant formation, so to speak. It ain't a good formation. It's been a bad formation. I'm just saying, I think it continues to grind in this range that you guys identified here. And I'm not sure what the thing is that breaks it out, unless you are one of these serious inflation hawks, which I just think, again, we haven't really talked about inflation. I know we spent a lot of time talking about inflation in 2021. I just think that we're going to see a lot of those inflationary pressures abate. I think we're going to see a lot of commodities. A lot of them have already come in. And I just think that inflation is going to be a story that's also going to be in the rearview mirror, at least high single-digit inflation or the sort of CPI readings that we've come in. I believe in the mean reversion thing. I suspect that we see growth coming back below 3%. I see inflation coming back somewhere below 3% in 2022, and your gold finally dies. All right. Well, that may happen later. I think the run-up is up first. But let me just say this. The geopolitical landscape, I think the three of us can agree, is not pretty. Never is, but it truly is not pretty setting up into 2022. We've got the Olympics and China, like there's gonna be a lot of stuff going on. And that's always favorable for gold, right? Any type of uncertainty like that. I know it doesn't produce a dividend. I know that's always been the hit on it. And speaking of dividends, I said this the last couple episodes that we have, the dogs of the Dow. And I think there'll be a nice move from growth to value. And I think these high dividend paying blue chip stocks are going to be a safe place to be if you want to keep your money in the market. And so I'll just add that to pound the table, cannabis, something that has great political cover going into next year, You had the Republicans come on board now. They seem to be championing it more than Democrats, which is crazy at this point. I think we're going to get something done. Hopefully in the first quarter, major bills going to be brought forward. That's a type of sector in this market. And let's not forget, you're going to have local communities. We have $30 in debt at the national level. 
We have a slowdown in the economy. You're looking for tax revenues. Well, guess what? Sports, gambling, and cannabis, my two favorite vices that are kind of out there, I think can be a great source for it. So that's going to be, I think, on the front burner here in Congress as we move into 22. So still like those names. Well, if you've been marrying the two, smoking the Mary Jane, as they say, prior to your picks, you're doing something right. I'm sure a lot of people (laughs) are going to mirror that strategy in 2022. It has been a great year, 2021, for us. As we mentioned earlier, it's been wonderful. The audience has been outstanding. It speaks to exactly what's going on. We have huge plans for 2022, Danny and Dan. Dan, take us out. Yeah, man. I echo your sentiments about really digging in with Danny Moses this year. It's just been a lot of fun doing on the tape. And so we really can't thank our listeners enough for being part of this. Our our listenership has grown really, really nicely month over month, and we couldn't be happier. We got a lot of fun stuff, maybe some events coming in 2022. So we really appreciate all of your participation, your feedback, that sort of thing. And also, guys, check out OK Computer. We just launched another podcast. I have a great group of co-hosts. I hope Guy and Danny will join us as our OK Boomer segments. But we have all these people that you've heard on On The Tape. We're talking tech. We're talking public. We're talking private. We're talking the intersection of Web 2 and Web 3. Katie Stanton of Moxie Ventures. Rick Heitzman of First Mark Capital. Packy McCormick of Not Boring. Jared Dicker of The Churning Group. Cleo Abrams, a brilliant TikTok sensation and a brilliant video producer over there at Vox. Sally Shin and the queen. I think she calls herself the vibe capitalist. That's Meltem Demers of CoinShares. She is also joining us. So that drops every Wednesday. Follow that in the podcast stores. Follow it at OK Computer Pod. And I just can't thank you guys enough for being part of this. We've just created a ton of content in 2021, and we've enjoyed doing it all. I've loved it. I look forward to a great 22. So I'm going to take a week off at some point. I think I might have missed one. I think Guy missed a couple and Daniel missed a couple. But I don't like to miss this stuff because I do love being with you guys and talking about the market. so As do I. By the way, I mentioned to Ned Michaels, and you should listen to his Breaking Even podcast, that I'm going to learn how to play golf in 2022. And I said, if you give me about a month, I will kick Danny Moses' ass. So be on the lookout for that. Maybe I'll play in the Pro-Am this year at some event. Anyway, yes, it's been a great year. Happy New Year, everybody. Danny, Dan, your families. And importantly, the On The Tape family. Thanks for everything you guys do. And thank you to CME Group, who've been with us from the get-go of this. When we laid out our plan for On The Tape in 2021, they were right there with us. And they've been involved in a bunch of the events that we've done. And they've been supporting our trading spaces that Guy and I do, that Danny drops in on Mondays and Wednesdays live on Twitter spaces. So thanks to the CME Group. And we really appreciate support in 2021. And they will be with us for the entire 2022. So thanks a lot. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.